Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's Scripture Reflections. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines on the biggest stories out of the Vatican. Whether we like it or not, the Holy Father himself has confirmed that the DDW does actually have the authority to say, hey, no, you need to run this by Rome first. This week, Pope Francis again confirmed restrictions on the celebration of the traditional Latin Mass, making it clear that permission to celebrate the pre-Vatican II liturgy is reserved to the Vatican and that bishops do not have the freedom to interpret the Pope's previous instruction at whim. During his trip to the Democratic Republic of Congo, Pope Francis met with a group of local Jesuits. In the audience, the Pope explicitly said that the papacy should be for life, if no illness prevents proper governance. On his recent visit to Africa, Pope Francis told Jesuits in the Democratic Republic of Congo that he has no intention to resign early from the papacy and that the decision for any pope to resign should not become a fashion or a normal thing, he said. Pope Francis released his message for Lent 2023 today, which bears the title Lenten Penance and the Synodal Journey. His message focuses on how personal and ecclesial transfiguration is the goal of the ascetical journey of both Lent and the synodal process currently underway. Finally, we've entered the season of Lent. Pope Francis has asked Catholics to journey not alone, but in community with others, who together sustain, encourage, listen, and challenge one another. I'm Ricardo da Silva, and this is Inside the Vatican. So Jerry, I'm coming to you from a slightly warmer New York this morning. How are you doing in Rome? Well, the temperature is up. We're very pleased, a beautiful day here, Ricardo. And of course, it's the beginning of Lent. We're recording this on Wednesday, February 22nd, which is about a day later than we would usually record this. But this morning, the Pope made a statement about the war in Ukraine, the ongoing war in Ukraine. We know that on Friday, February 24th, will be a year since the war started in Ukraine. And so the Pope this morning said, the toll of dead, wounded refugees, those isolated destructions, economic and social damage speaks for itself. May the Lord forgive all these crimes and all this violence. He is the God of peace. And he appealed for the war to be stopped, for that the Vatican is prepared to do anything it can in this regard, and for there to be a ceasefire reached and negotiations to begin. What else do we know about what has been happening at the Vatican on the Ukraine war front? Well, Ricardo, I interviewed this morning the Vatican's foreign minister, Archbishop Gallagher. His official title is Secretary for Relations with States. And he, he spoke on the war. He's just come back from the international meeting on security in Munich. 
which lots of heads of state and Kamala Harris, for example, was. He said that the center of that attention was the, the war. And he said the feeling was not very optimistic. Mm. Nobody sees an end to the war at this moment. But I think our audience will be able to read my story on Friday when they listen to this. Yes, we will publish the story of your interview with Archbishop Gallagher at americamagazine.org. And we invite our listeners to check our show notes for a link as soon as it is published. And in the meantime, as Pope Francis has asked us to do, we will remain close to the tormented people of the Ukraine. Yes, the Pope has been insisting all the time, pray, pray, pray for peace, because uh, nobody seems to be actually working for peace right now at the leadership level in the countries. Sherry, continuing with further Vatican news, this week Pope Francis issued what's known as a rescript, uh, and this is a clarification on his motu proprio, which is an order of his own accord, which he made on the 16th of July, 2021, entitled Traditionis Custodes. And in that instruction in 2021, he largely restricted the celebration of the traditional Latin Mass or the celebration of the Mass using the 1962 Missal. We know that there have been questions, especially from bishops, and that there have been very liberal interpretations of what that instruction meant. And so this week's statement clarifies really two main points regarding the implementation of that instruction, points which have been previously made, which were made clearly in that instruction, and then which were again clarified by the prefect uh, for divine for the dicastery for divine worship and the discipline of the sacraments, Cardinal Arthur Roach, but have still been left to question. And so on this occasion, the Pope has now made a new statement, making very clear what he intends by this instruction. The two main points are these, that any existing parish church or any new parish church wishing to celebrate the pre-Vatican II liturgy requires explicit permission from the Vatican, that the bishop needs to require this explicit permission from the Vatican, and that any priest ordained after the motu proprio was issued, so on July 16, 2021, who wishes to celebrate the former rite of the Mass, needs to request the Vatican's permission. So, loud and clear, only the Vatican can grant any kind of dispensation or exception from this rule, and that that dispensation is granted from the Office of Divine Worship, from the Dicastery of Divine Worship. Jerry, what has happened, what do we know has happened since Traditionis Custodis that has maybe necessitated this clarification? Well, the Pope issued the motu proprio, a decree, uh, restricting the use of the pre-Vatican II liturgy, Latin Mass. Not Latin Mass in general, because people can still say the new, the Vatican II liturgy in Latin. Mm -hmm. I, I keep saying this, like, we, we must be clear about this. It's the pre-Vatican II liturgy or it's the traditional Latin Mass, but that the Mass in Latin, I mean, Mass can be said in any language, provided it follows the current liturgy, the Roman order. Absolutely. And I, I think that's very important for people to understand. The Pope is not outlawing the use of Latin as such. What he is putting real restrictions on is the use of the pre-Vatican II, the pre-1962 uh, Mass and uh, in Latin. What happened was that some bishops, a minority I should, should underline, because the Pope issued this document after consulting 
world bishops. He didn't just think it up one morning and write a decree. He consulted the world bishops and he got their feedback and they said it's important to put real restrictions on this because what is emerging is opposition to Vatican II. In reality, probably the biggest opposition or challenge to the decree came in the United States. Many of the bishops who disagreed with the Pope's restrictions were canon lawyers themselves. And they uh, said that according to one of the canons, Canon 87, the bishop had, in a diocese, had really the authority. And they challenged Cardinal Roach for overstepping his powers as prefect of the Vatican dicastery for divine worship and the discipline of the sacraments. This, of course, got back to him. So he he went to the Pope and said, we need to clarify whether I have this authority or not. So, Jerry, the Cardinal Roach had an audience, a private audience, with the Pope. On last Monday. We know last Monday, on the 20th of February. And this instruction was issued the very next day, February 21st. The very next day. And it's it's a, a response to questions, basically, that he raised with the Pope. And the Pope said, no, no. You've you're carrying out the instructions I've given you. And then he referred specifically to Canon 87, which the bishops, many in the United States, for example, who were refusing to go down the restrictive line, uh, were appealing to. And he said, no, you're not interpreting my decision in the light of that canon. At this point, the bishops who have granted dispensations bypassing the original decree, now we'll have to request for the permission. And that is a a strong element in the whole uh, decree. The Pope has uh, made very clear in parish churches or in other churches in the parish, you cannot celebrate the Mass in the pre-Vatican II Latin Mass without getting explicit permission from the Vatican office. They call it dicastery. Formerly it was called congregation. And then it's very clear also that new priests, those who were ordained after the document was published, the original document, if they want to celebrate in the pre-Vatican II liturgy, their bishop They have to ask their bishop, and the bishop has to ask Rome. He cannot just decide by himself, okay, you go ahead. So really what has happened is what seemed loopholes, but only to people who are interpreting canon law in a specific way, are now closed. It is very clear now that anyone, any priest in any parish who wants to celebrate the Mass in the pre-Vatican II Latin Mass, will have to ask his bishop, and then the bishop will have to ask Rome. The bishop cannot decide by himself. Jerry, I, one of the things I think is important to make clear here is, you know, the, the instruction was issued July 16th. On December 21st of that same year, so barely four months after, Cardinal Arthur Roach issued what we call responsa ad dubia. I mean, so responses to questions about how to implement traditionis custodes. And there, a lot of what has been made clear now with this latest instruction was made clear, right? So we've we've waited almost a year to hear anything more. 
Um, and now Pope Francis has issued this instruction, making it clear that, in fact, what Cardinal Roach had clarified before is correct and is according to the Pope's wishes. I found it very interesting yesterday, uh, just hours after this instruction was issued, Bishop Thomas Tobin, who is the current Bishop of Providence, Rhode Island, he tweeted the following. He said, the way the Vatican is dealing with the traditional Latin mass does not seem to me to be the style of God, he puts in quotes. Pope Francis himself has emphasized that those who are attached to the TLM, traditional Latin mass, should be, quotes, accompanied, listened to, and given time. So he is quoting the Pope in the Pope's style of the way of God. What is interesting to me is it does seem to me that the Pope has given time for this instruction to be followed, right? And yet there has been no move for this instruction to be followed. And in fact, it seems that bishops have still taken the law into their own hands. And even if bishops do want to celebrate the, the traditional Latin Mass in their parish, that, in, that is not being banned in itself. What is being stopped is that this is happening of their own volition and that they are not asking the permission of Rome, that they are not asking permission of the Vatican for this to happen, that they feel that this is of their own authority. Yes. When the Pope issued his decree last summer and then in December, uh, Archbishop uh, Cardinal Roach uh, issued, I think he was Archbishop then, Cardinal Roach issued his response to questions. There were many genuine questions that came from bishops in various places, and he sought to answer them. But there are, it's obvious that some people do not like the decision the Pope has taken and do are not happy to follow it. You know, uh, Ricardo, this reminds me, if you read the history of the Second Vatican Council, and when the decrees were approved by the Council Fathers, the various documents, there was always a few voting against. If you go back to the council and look at the history of, of the voting, you will always find there are some always against. And I, I, I think uh, uh, this will probably continue to be the case, but the Pope's mind is very clear. The position of the Holy See is very clear. So the question is, a bishop is meant to work in communion with the Pope, in union with the Pope. The Pope is the center of unity and orthodoxy in the Catholic Church, not the local bishop. Again, this is a challenge to papal authority, right? It's a, it's a challenge to the authority of Pope Francis. And what is being made clear with this instruction is many have criticized Cardinal Roach for his responses to individual bishops. Uh, you know, saying to them, no, you cannot celebrate the traditional Latin Mass. This does not qualify as an extenuating circumstance um, which would allow for this. You cannot do it. What the Pope is now saying is Cardinal Roach is acting on my authority and not on his own authority. He's not arrogating power to himself that is not due to him. He is, he is acting in the power that is proper to that office. But Francis himself has given at least one exception in France. So it's not as if exceptions are not given, but it's a question of the decision to go this road is not in the hands of the local bishop. And this has to be clear. And a bishop who decides to go ahead, it's a question then of his own communion with the Pope. And obedience to the Pope. So speaking of questions and doubts of the Pope, 
After the break, uh, we'll look at one of those questions that comes up time and time again. Will Pope Francis resign? He has now made clear that he will not. But is this going to be enough to silence those who thought his resignation was on the cards? Also, what does Pope Francis want for us this Lent? Stay with us. Jerry, you were with Pope Francis in the Democratic Republic of Congo. While he was on the first leg of his trip in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, he met with uh, the Jesuit community of the DRC at the Apostolic Nunciature. He had a private audience with them, and a Jesuit there asked him a question which has been burning uh, on the lips of many. Will Pope Francis resign? Has he any plans to resign? What did he say? Well... You know, the drumbeats of resignation have been sounding very loudly in some parts, especially in the United States. And the suggestion was, Benedict is now dead, so there is no uh, problem about having two emeritus popes, two retired popes, because many, many cardinals had made clear they did not want two popes retired at the same time. Uh, Francis obviously kept being asked by journalists and by others, you know, you you have praised the decision by Benedict, just called it courageous, to resign. Uh, are you thinking of resigning? In the past, he has said, well, uh, it's a possibility. And in fact, he revealed in an interview that two months after he started as Pope, he had handed a letter to the Secretary of State, Cardinal Batoni at the time, announcing his resignation um, from office if his health made him in- incapable of exercising that office. Yes, but th- this this was uh, what his predecessors had done. He, and he, he mentioned, in fact, Pius XII. He said Pius XII, uh, when the Nazis were, came to Rome, he signed a letter that if they arrested him, as was a possibility, he would immediately have resigned so that they would have arrested Cardinal Pacelli, that was his name before he was Pope, and not Pope Pius XII. But other popes, Paul VI, others, also John Paul II, have written letters early on in their papacy saying if they were incapacitated, and by which they really meant mentally incapacitated, to govern the church, that then uh, their resignation could be considered handed in. Francis, in Kinshasa, when this question was put to him, he said, a Pope's ministry is for life, and I don't think it should be otherwise. said, the resignation should not become a fashion or a fad or a normal thing. And so he, he pulled the carpet from under those who were beating the drums for resignation. And it is the first time that he was very clear about this. He said, resignation has not entered my head. And he's made clear that his own understanding of the ministry that he has got is for life. I mean, he, he really added a feather to the cap of traditionalists, right? I mean, he said, I think the ministry of the great patriarchs is always for life. And the historical tradition is important. So talk about traditionis custodis, which we've just finished talking about guardians of uh, tradition, right? I mean, here he's a guardian of the tradition. He's basically saying 
I think this is for life. It should be so. There may be circumstances where it isn't, but that needs to be a complete exception. Yes, and he went on to say, because they asked him also about the Father General of the Jesuits. Should he resign because Father Colvin Beck went to Benedict XVI and asked, could he resign? And then Father Nicholas went to Francis and asked, Adolfo Nicholas asked Francis, and both of them resigned. And Francis again said, I'm on the more conservative side. That's what he, the word he used. He said, if we're listening to the chatter, we should change popes every six months. Yes, and, and he, he made clear that, for example, in the case of the Jesuit general, if everybody knew that when he came and reached a certain age, he would be resigning, then people would be jockeying for position and there would be factions, etc. As happens in the Anglican Church, for example. And uh, Francis wanted to make clear and he removed any doubt because he was very categorical about it, that he sees that his ministry is for life, unless there's some serious illness uh, provides otherwise. The problem with the drumbeats of resignation is they create a climate, much like around the, the Latin Mass. They create a climate and people then begin to wonder, in previous papacies, this was not really a problem. But in the modern age where we've got internet, Instagram, uh, Twitter, Facebook, and all these other various things, the news travels in two minutes. In past centuries, the news or the comments were limited to those who might be reading papers in a certain language or in a local situation. It did not become news from the east to the west coast in the United States, and then to down, over to Beijing and to Moscow and wherever else. And so the, the, this whole media uh, climate has changed news and everything. And so comments about the papacy, somebody suggests the Pope resigns and it suddenly becomes the conditional goes and it becomes fact. And so with, uh, for Francis was very clear he didn't leave much room for equivocation on this question. He left no room. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I think it's really, you know, part of what's important here is, and he goes on to this in, in kind of further comments about this, he talks about accepting, you know, when he came to Rome for the conclave and he came with a small briefcase and he was sort of just ready to go back to being a bishop because that was his mission. His mission was as a bishop then, and then he was made a pope, and that became his mission. It's a really important thing for Pope Francis, I think, to take this and understand this as his mission for life, a mission that was given to him in obedience for life. And so he doesn't want to change what has already, what has been, what is an existing uh, tradition, and he certainly wants to continue and to foster that. Yes, and he's, as you say, he's in the tradition of the church. Benedict is the exception. I mean, you have to go back 600 years to find the last pope who resigned. Jerry, continuing with the tradition of the church, uh, as I said earlier, we're recording this on Wednesday, February 22nd. Ash Wednesday. It is Ash Wednesday, the beginning of Lent. Pope Francis, as popes before him have done, uh, and as he has done for now 10 years, we're coming up to 10 years of Pope Francis, he issued his Lenten message. And this year, he's really focused or honed in on this image of the transfiguration of Jesus, where Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up onto a high mountain 
and there he spent some time with them. They built tents, uh, they see the ancestors, um, and they really, at a, at a glance, um, see the scope of, of history. And what Pope Francis has said is it's really important for us in this liturgical season to go with the Lord to a place apart and to live this particular experience of spiritual discipline. Uh, he says, and I'm quoting here, Lenten penance is a commitment sustained by grace to overcoming our lack of faith and our resistance to following Jesus on the way of the cross. And he says, we must allow ourselves to be taken aside by him and to detach ourselves from mediocrity and vanity to set out on a journey uphill that, like a mountain trek, requires effort, sacrifice, and concentration. So really a focus on the arduousness of this journey, not trying to downplay that Lent is, you know, an easy thing, but that it truly is supposed to be a spiritual discipline, that it's supposed to be something which is a challenge to the Christian life. Right. I, I think what is very interesting in this uh, Lenten message, unlike previous ones, uh, which have tended to focus on the individual and his local community, uh, this one kind of links the Lenten journey with the synodal journey. And he says, the Lenten journey, you're doing it with other people in the parish, with other people, maybe your family, whoever, you're not going it alone. This Francis has said before, you know, you don't live the Christian life by yourself. You're part of a community. But there's, and it's an uphill trek. Then there are two things that he, he pinpoints. First of all, in the Lenten journey, you listen. You listen to the Word of God, the Scriptures, in, in the church, or if you can't go to church, on the internet, he says. Uh, and, but at least you listen. You listen to what God is saying in the Scriptures. Secondly, you listen to what God is saying, Christ is saying to you through your brothers and sisters, especially those in need. And this is exactly what he's asked the synod to do. He said the synod process involves two things. Fundamentally, the first phase, you have to listen. Listen to what others are saying, not just what yours, your own thoughts. You have to listen to others. Secondly, you listen to those who are excluded, those most in need. And so he put the two together. And this is very unusual because, as I said, I, I can't think of a parallel in recent past Lenten messages where the Pope links this to something else that's happening in the church. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's really connecting the reality with the scriptures in this case, right? You know, looking at this journey of the transfiguration, which is an arduous journey, I mean, climbing up this mountain, with this journey of the synod, which we know has garnered so much criticism, especially here in the US, we've heard significant criticisms of the synod. And so here we are being told that this challenge is a worthwhile one, right? Like when you get to the top of the mountain and you see this great vista, this wonderful expanse opening up, that similarly the journey of the synod, however difficult and out of breath we've been along the way, that we need to be prepared to open up to this bright new future, this new horizon, which, like the transfiguration, takes into account the old, but also brings with it newness. Yes, he says when they went to the top of the mountain, they saw Christ in a new light. They had a new vision of him. And he's saying, similarly, in the synod, when you go through that process of listening, you suddenly have a, 
a new vision of church. And then he says, you've had this experience on the top of the mountain, as you just explained, and then you come down. And then you try to live that in, at the local, at the different level. And so, like at Easter, you celebrate the, the Holy Week. And so, with the Synod, you celebrate the, the coming out of the Synod. Yeah, he says Lent leads to Easter. The retreat, in other words, this journey of Lent, the journey of synodality, is not an end in itself, but a means of preparing us to experience the Lord's passion and cross with faith, hope, and love to arrive at the resurrection. It's a, it's a really powerful image, again, of how that journey has payoff, right? How that journey eventually leads us to that place where we want to be. And, and he's being so real about it. He says, do not take refuge in a religiosity made up of extraordinary events and dramatic experiences out of fear of facing reality and its daily struggles, its hardships and contradictions. That's what Lent's supposed to be. It's supposed to be an engagement with the real. Yes, I, I think this what this really reveals is that Francis emphasizes both our spiritual journeys both are spiritual experiences. Both require a certain discipline in your, in the life of the individuals involved, and then both will lead to some kind of transformation if followed through. It's it's a very interesting thing, but it 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 highlights how important and how central to his vision of church the synod is. And again, those who still haven't bought into it most likely because they haven't understood what's happening. He's inviting them through the the experience of Lent, which even the most traditional uh, Catholic will have understood what it's about, to see that there's a parallel in what's happening in the life of the church. That's what's happening in your own life as a Christian. Look what's happening in the life of the whole church to which you belong. Jerry, I wish you a very happy Lent. Thank you for uh, joining me this week, and we'll be together again soon. Yes, yes. Uh, we, wish, we wish well to, every, to those on the Lenten path and to those on the synodal path. Thank you. Before we go, here are a few more headlines out of the Vatican you should know about. Pope Francis publicly denounced the sentencing of Nicaraguan Bishop Rolando Alvarez to 26 years and four months in prison. Bishop Alvarez has been targeted by Daniel Ortega, the president of Nicaragua, for opposing the government and calling for free elections. The Pope also decried the deportation to the United States of more than 200 opponents of President Ortega's regime. He asked political leaders in Nicaragua to open their hearts in search of peace and to engage in dialogue. Fifteen new allegations of spiritual, sexual and psychological abuse have been lodged against Marco Rupnik, the prominent Jesuit priest and artist whose mosaics decorate churches the world over. Father Rupnik had previously been sanctioned after reports of similar abuses surfaced, restricting him from conducting much of his priestly ministry. The latest allegations have resulted in further restrictions. He is now banned from any further artistic activity without the explicit permission of his superior. Finally, Pope Francis has voiced his closeness to victims and their families in the wake of the earthquake that struck southeastern Turkey and northwestern Syria. The Pope offered his prayers for the estimated 42,300 people who have died, asking people to pray and think of what we can do for them. Through the Vatican's charity giving arm, the Papal Almoner, the Pope has pledged material and financial support in the form of 10,000 thermal vests and an undisclosed cash sum. Check the show notes for links to all our Vatican-related stories 
or visit americamagazine.org. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This episode was produced by Maggie Van Dorn. Our audio engineer is Kevin Christopher Robles. Production assistance from Christabel Spielman. Our executive producer is Sebastian Gomes. To keep up with the latest Vatican coverage from America Media, please follow us on Twitter at INSDE Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. You can also follow me on Twitter at RickDSSJ. That's R I C D S S J. And Jerry at Jerry O'Rome. That's G E R R Y O R O M E. We also ask you consider becoming a digital subscriber to America Magazine. Go to americamagazine.org slash subscribe. It's easy to do and it's the best way to support our work here on Inside the Vatican. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Ricardo De Silva. We'll see you next time. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media thinking through big questions together like, What do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.